0: Well, welcome, listeners, to One Mission, the podcast. I am very grateful today that my friend and colleague, Ben Hayes, pastor of Dadeville First Baptist Church, is with us. He has a unique story to tell. His whole life is unique, but more recently, in the last month, he said uh, something worthy of recognition and uh, worthy of affirmation, Ben, on what you've been able to do there. But before we get to the events that happened recently at Dadeville, I'd like to ask you just tell us a little bit about you, how you're called to ministry, and a little bit about your family. Just share
1: with our listeners. Well, thank you, Dr. Lance. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, One of my biggest fears is that people just forget about what happened at Dadeville uh, because we're still in the healing process. But I grew up in church Um, all my life. My dad was a bivocational pastor. Uh, I got saved uh, when I was 16, which was the third time that I was baptized. Mm -hmm. Um, It was an interesting experience, but uh, I was away at a youth camp. I'd already (laughs) surrendered to the ministry uh, probably when I was uh, 14 and was planning to head that way. But we were at youth camp, and um, the last night of camp, my best friend was crying. And I said, David, what's wrong? He said, well, can we go outside and talk? And so we did. We went outside and, and we talked and he said, he said, Ben, I'm not saved. I said, really? He said, yeah. So I, I sat down with him and shared with him the plan of salvation. We, we prayed, went inside, told, told everybody what happened. Everybody was rejoicing. Uh, and the whole time I was thinking, I don't have this for myself. And so we got back to church and that Sunday night uh, we were having a big youth uh, celebration with the church, and I sat on the very back row of the choir loft. Um, pastor had preached, and we had uh, shared what had happened. And uh, I was sitting there saying to myself, this, this is not right. And I went down, and I spoke to my pastor during the invitation. I told him, I said, I need to be saved. And so that night, I trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. And I just assumed at the moment that that negated my call to ministry. And my pastor looked at me, and he said, but do you still feel called to the ministry? And in that instance, I knew that I was. I knew that God had called me. Um, And so I made that new commitment of myself. Uh, Went off to college, went to Mobile College, Mobile College at the time. Uh, Met my wife, Sonia, and uh, we married. Uh, Went on to New Orleans Seminary, Uh, had two children. Uh, God uh, blessed us with two wonderful daughters. I have three granddaughters now. I've uh, served in uh, about seven different churches over the past 41 years. I've been at Dadeville for the last five and a half.
0: Wow. That's a tremendous story, especially your conversion experience, your call. I think our listeners are uh, warmed by that. And I know I always, I have to admit, I'm a real connoisseur of testimonies. We, We don't hear testimonies like we once did in church life. You and I can remember when on Wednesday night or in revival, people would have testimonies. Now, they may be repetitive. They may talk about what happened 25, 30 years ago. But nonetheless, it's good to hear people's stories. Everyone has a story, especially spiritually. Ben, a month ago, really a tragic situation took place. And there was a shooting on a Saturday night, as you well know. And you were involved in terms of trying to help in the aftermath of that. And for that, we as uh, evangelical Christians, specifically the Alabama Baptist family, want to thank you for taking point in leadership in that. It's uh, being a leader in a crisis. Sometimes you, you learn things about yourself. They emerge, and I'm sure that's happened. You also learn lessons about how to handle things that might be transferable, translatable to other Issues, But tell me about that Saturday night, and then we'll move from there. Uh, when you got the Word and how all that went down.
1: Well, uh, Saturdays are, are nights that uh, I try to wrap everything up to be ready for Sunday morning. And I'd gone to bed and uh, had fallen asleep. About 1130, my phone rang. And as a pastor, you know that nothing good ever comes out of an 1130 at night phone call. True. And I answered, and it was uh, Vicki McDonald, our, our football coach's wife. She said, uh, Brother Ben, there's been a shooting, and Phil is dead. And waking up out of a sleep, I had no idea what she was saying. I said, say that again. And she said, there's been a shooting at a party, and Phil Dowdell is dead. Phil was one of our, our football players. Uh, as the chaplain for the football team, she um, her husband, Coach McDonald, wanted me to know what was going on. And so I I thanked her, told her to tell Coach I was praying for her. And I immediately called our chief of police because I'm also the chaplain for the police department. And uh, I said, what can I do? Where can I help? And uh, he said, "Uh, I need you at the hospital. So I'm a sworn police officer in Dadeville. So I put on my, my stuff and I headed to the hospital just to help with crowd control. But It also gave me an opportunity to minister to the the people who were there. There were probably 250 people in that parking lot that night. Uh, Most of them had no idea what had happened to their child, didn't know if their child was there Mm. uh, or not. And you'd see somebody coming out of the waiting room with a smile on their face, and you knew that they had just found out their child was okay. And then you would see a mother collapse on the pavement because Mm. getting the, the word. Terrible. Yes, and so, you know, I had an opportunity while I was was helping there to, to walk around, talk to some of my football players, yeah, and just see how they were doing.
0: Well, <clears throat> let's fast forward to Sunday, because you had Sunday morning to deal with, and then there was a rally, and I was so glad I was able to be—I was on one side of the state, but got there in time for the rally, because that was so meaningful to me, and I ho- I know it was for the community— but take us through the Sunday morning and right up to Sunday afternoon.
1: Well, I got home and got back in bed about 4 o'clock Sunday morning, um, thinking I would get a couple of hours sleep. And, of course, about 5.15, my phone was going off with some folks trying to tell me what had happened. And so I went ahead and got up, and God um, just placed on my heart to to post something on Facebook about the experience, and I did. Uh, and then I went about my my routine of getting ready for Sunday morning, Uh, Todd Starnes, who used to be on Fox News, saw the post and contacted me. And from there, it just exploded uh, nationwide, people hearing about it. I got to church. We had um, a prayer time at the altar at 8 that morning, Uh, went into Sunday school, had a very powerful worship service where we prayed for our community. Um, And we knew that we wanted to do the prayer vigil. But I had a funeral that afternoon that I had to preach. Huh. and so i told my staff i said look guys can you get this together just put everything together get the stage set get the word out that we're going to do this and we had no idea uh, who would be there what would happen uh, one of the black pastors had uh, they, they were planning to do their own prayer vigil and right. he saw what we were doing he said can we participate And i said sure yeah. this is for the community and so uh that evening uh, i finished the funeral i ran to my office. Uh, One of my sweet young ladies had bought me a sandwich because I hadn't eaten anything all day. I ate the sandwich quickly, came out. You were there, so appreciative of your being there. Mark Wakefield had brought some disaster relief chaplains to be there. Uh, The parking lot was filling up. My guys had had put everything together. And from the time I left my office to walk out to the, the platform, God just outlined what we needed to do. And uh, so I asked several of the pastors to to speak and to pray. And I didn't ask you, but uh, until I got up there and at that moment, God just said uh, that I needed to to ask you to come and pray. And you did, and I'm very appreciative of that because the words that you said were were quite meaningful. Um, I had not thought about this, but uh, you mentioned that this was our 9-11 moment, and it really was. Right. It was that moment for us.
0: Well, uh, let me talk about my feelings and re- um, how I felt regarding this. Uh, I know the community was in shock. I guess I call mine secondary shock because just trying to absorb what had happened, thinking through what had happened. But I was captivated by one of the young athletes who was real close to Phil, and I was trying to talk to him. Another lady was as well. We pray. We prayed with him, and he was crying uncontrollably, yes. as others were. Yes, and. I don't know what your count was, but uh, Jennifer Rash, who's our Baptist editor for the Alabama Baptist, said, as from the perch she had, it looked like four or five hundred people may have gathered. Now, that if I said that, somebody would say I'm ministerially speaking, <laughs> yes. but she said it, and I I said three hundred. She said no, it was more than that. So I I thought that was a tremendous outpouring of concern and also reflection of the grief. But in the moment when I was standing. You asked me to do that. I did walking up there on the steps. I was thinking, "Well, what I know, I'm gonna pray." But I, I felt like I need to say something, and that nine eleven moment came out just, just, and by that I meant the shock. Yes, it, it's contextualized in one community, but the shock of it. I was struck by the fact that the community really respects you, and that they look to First Baptist as being mm. a leader leadership in the community I thought your staff had done a, an excellent job the having the dr chaplains there was a good idea that was the first day and meanwhile there was a police having a press conference for the news people there uh, you handled yourself with the news so well Ben I, I was real proud of that I I don't relish ever being interviewed by the uh, no. media because I'm afraid I'll say something that's especially in a moment like that that doesn't come out just exactly right, but you were remarkable. They did interview some of the students. I saw that happening, but I just thought it was a moment where we transcended a lot of barriers. Yes, the commonality of a need, a grieving people, and a community in shock uh, it didn't make any difference. Uh, what kind of car you drove or where, what your bank account was or whether you were African American or white, it just was a common moment of sincere grief. And that's why I thought of a nine eleven moment. And I just have to think that's kind of providential that it came across like that. But I, that's the only way I can describe it. I, I felt that. I felt like I just walked up and there were just human debris all over the place yes. and people's lives were shattered and changed forever, really. Right. But I I really do, and I don't think I'm overdoing this, I really mean this genuinely. I commend you, your church family, for the job you've done, the work you've done, the ministry you've had with the people, not only among the general population, but with the police department, the fire department, and with the school, and with the um, educators, the administrators, the students. They, I know from reports I've gotten how much they appreciated you and your church being this involved in the matter. And I'm also grateful that you've established a fund to help those who are having medical expenses, some of them, as you've used the word and us discussing, astronomical. Would you like to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes. Uh, first, let me say that it's this is five and a half years in the making, um, getting to the point where I have the opportunity to, to be this person for Dadeville. It didn't start just uh, a month ago. We've invested a lot of time in the schools and in our police department, fire department, our team. And uh, as we were getting ready for church Sunday morning, uh, my wife, Sonia, who is a big part of my ministry, she said, we're going to need to raise money. And she said, I'm going to start a GoFundMe. And I said, go ahead, you, you do that part of this. And so she started—she put together a GoFundMe. Uh, we call it the Daveville Strong Fund. Uh, it is for—to uh, to help cover some of the costs of funerals and medical expenses. Uh, we raised uh, approximately $19,000 through that right. particular fund. Yeah, uh, We knew that some people would not be comfortable giving through a church, uh, but we also knew some people wouldn't be comfortable giving through GoFundMe. So we, we set up a fund— a designated fund in our church through our online giving uh, called our Victims Fund, and we've raised over $100,000 there.
0: Oh, great. Uh,
1: There's a community foundation of East Alabama uh, has raised about $50,000, and we're working together with them. We have formed a committee with their representatives, um, one of the black pastors in Dadeville, me, uh, our mayor, uh, city clerk, uh, pediatrician from Ellicott City. Uh, a committee that's come together to decide how we're going to disperse those funds. And that's where we are right now. Uh, If people would like to give, they can find the GoFundMe uh, campaign or they can go to our church website and they can find the link there.
0: Well, that's good. That's good for our listeners to know. And now we are at that Sunday, and it's four weeks later now, a little bit. During the last four weeks, just kind of generally – uh, give an overview and summary of that.
1: Well, our goal was to take care of the the community uh, because even if you did not have a child in that party, even if you didn't have a child connected to that party, every every resident of Dadeville was affected by this. Um, Shock—the word that you used—is uh, a good way to describe it. This does not happen in Dadeville. We're not that. We're not that town. Uh, Those are some of the phrases we've heard. So our focus has been what can we do to make a difference in these kids' lives and these families' lives to help them not just financially but to deal with the stress. Um, It's amazing how God works this out because several months ago I uh, was involved with uh, Alabama Law Law Enforcement Alliance for Peer Support Training to be a peer support counselor for our law enforcement officers Mm -hmm. as part of my chaplaincy. (laughs) And that provided me exactly what I needed to help walk some of these kids, teachers, uh, community members, police department, fire department, through some of the post-traumatic stress symptoms that they're facing because this was a critical stress incident. And uh, so we've been able to walk through uh, meetings with the fire department, with the police department. Every day for the last, uh, well, for the two weeks following, three weeks following, the shooting, we had pastors in the high school uh, meeting with the kids along with uh, trained counselors just to be there. And the kids would come and talk to us and, and we would share with them, listen to them. Uh, we, we've done everything we can to make sure that these kids have an outlet to tell their story, but most of them aren't ready to, to talk even yet. In fact, on Tuesday night, we had our annual uh, graduate banquet where we honor all of the graduating seniors from the class. There were 77 seniors that were to graduate with uh, Phil and Kiki's loss. That was 75. Uh, It was scheduled for Tuesday night. We went ahead with it. Uh, 49 of the 75 students were there. Uh, Their families were there. And the message they sent me was, we don't want anything sad. We we, we don't want any more sadness. Right. Right. And so that was our plan: is we were going to make this a celebration because these these young people needed to understand that it's it's okay not to be sad. It's okay right. to laugh. It's okay to continue your life in celebration. And that's what we've been trying to get across to them. We'll continue that uh, this Sunday night we have back Lord at our church for the the graduating class. Uh, Pastor Justin Freeman, one of our black pastors, yeah. is going to be preaching. Mm-hmm. Outstanding young man. Uh, I'm excited about that. And um, we're just trying to help our community understand that that healing takes place in community.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, our listeners, I think, have been intrigued by this. And probably, uh, given, given your experience, they'd like to know, are there some takeaways that could be used in case there's some unforeseen, God forbid, incident like this or any other kind of disaster relief moment when people are traumatized, would you like to speak to that and maybe share? Now that you're a month out, you probably can analyze that a lot better.
1: Well, one of the things that I've recognized is that you have to say yes to God in the moment that He calls you to do something. Because while it may not be for that moment that He's calling you to whatever it might be, it is for the future. Um, I can see step by step how God put me into the high school week after week, day after day, how he connected me to the police department, um, how recently our fire chief joined our church and became a part of, of our family, and how God has begun organizing all of that for this particular time. Yeah. Um, it was not a matter of saying, okay, here's this tragic event, now do something with it. There was preparation. But you have to say yes to God in those weeks and months and years prior to the event. Right. When it happens, recognize that you're not alone. I I have a a great staff that came alongside me, that stood in front of me. Um, My secretary shielded me from probably dozens of, of interviews that, that I, I didn't have time to do. Uh, my, my co-workers came alongside and, and did the heavy lifting so that I could do some of the other things. Uh, my Alabama Baptist family has been fantastic in in what they've done to help, from from you, Dr. Lance, from Mark Wakefield, a close personal friend of mine, who immediately called and said, what can I do? And from that moment on, every day has called and said, how are you doing? Yeah. Um, just checking on me, reminding me to take care of myself. uh, Know that you're not by yourself in all of this. And accept the help when it's offered. Because you don't have to do everything. And that's what I recognized early on is I couldn't do everything. And so when pastors would come to me and say, I want to help, I would say, okay, this is what I need. Will you do that? And they did. Um, and, And recognize the fact that everyone is going to get through this at their own pace there's no formula for this yeah Yeah. any pastor any person who's been through the grieving process understands this but sometimes we we think okay i'm through this part now everyone else should be as well that's not the way it works we all grieve in our own way we all handle stress in our own way so give permission for people to take the time that they need now Six months down the road, if we still have people who can't come out of their house, there's a problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But hopefully we're not going to be there. We're, we're trying to do everything we can right now to make sure that that uh, doesn't happen. But accept the help and, and recognize that people are going to, to work through this in their own time. And then probably the most important part is take care of yourself physically, spiritually, yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Just because you're running like crazy— Don't stop taking time for your quiet time. Make sure you talk to your family, your your wife, your your children, your grandchildren, your friends. Um, Open up and tell them what you're feeling Um, because it's important.
0: Yeah. Well, Ben, I'll have to tell you that uh, I have always admired people who stood in the gap and you, there's a big gap there you stood in. John F. Kennedy, in his day, before becoming president, wrote a book, Profiles of Courage. And I think he got a Pulitzer surprise for it. If I ever wrote a book of profiles of commitment, you would be at the first chapter. Thank you. And I think you have shown that kind of commitment, godly commitment, and also personalized commitment. Uh, people don't realize first responders need ministering, too, as well. Sometimes they don't realize it, and you've done a good job of that. The beauty of a small town is that you can know more people and be well-connected. Now, a lot of our urban areas, they don't have that kind of access that you have, but they can, pastors and other leaders, can get to know their local fire people and as many police officers as they can and also the authorities well, before something like this happens, yes. so they won't be coming in at a crisis and introducing themselves. Exactly. And that, you've done that remarkably well. Uh, Alabama still has a lot of small cities, a lot of Daveville like cities, 3,000 population, I believe. Yes. I've been, the uh, smallest town I've ever been in is Coleman, but I had some of that. I was traveling, football team, and I knew most of the police officers and the fire department, and it was a cozy kind of a relationship. That uh, the couple of times we had some real hiccups, uh, it came in, it really was useful to have those kind of relationships. So I would say to our listeners, <clears throat> your testimony, the way you've handled yourself, you stood tall, uh, can be an example for them. And you probably already know now, you'll be called upon to give this kind of testimony again more than one time in the future. In fact, by the end of this week, you'll be speaking to our State Board of Missions about it. Yes. And yes. when they're having their meeting, we're having our meeting, there'll be other venues as well because we'll be keeping this in mind. And when you have a critical incident, incident situation, uh, there are only a few people that have gone through it to the level you have. And this is a a really important moment that we understand what Critical incident, godly leadership is all about. And again, you've exemplified that. So I want to thank you for being a part of our program today. And listeners, you need to get to know Ben Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Daveville, a town of about 3,000. And that event that took place a month ago, although in time, will probably fade in some people's memories. It will be a scar in the lives of so many, especially those who've lost loved ones. We need to pray for them, pray for Ben and the community, and also help in any other tangible way we can. Thank you for another edition of One Mission the Podcast. We look forward to being able to have another one real soon on what it means to be a leader. God bless.